I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Well, good morning, Point Church. Visitors, welcome to Open Mic Night here at the Point. Uh, The good news is that uh, we had our full dress rehearsal with the 9 o'clock service, and it went well, so hopefully things will go well again for you. Um, Tim mentioned that I was going to be uh, talking uh, through Colossians 4, 2 through 6, but I learned, and I think we all learned through this experience, that it takes a long time to write a short sermon. So I'm actually going to be talking about two or three verses, Colossians uh, 4, 2 through uh, 4. So if you have your Bibles uh, and you'd like to refer to them, please get them out. I'll be uh, reading the NIV, and I think the words will be on the screen as well. And Paul writes to the Colossians, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So before we get started, uh, it's clear that Paul believes he needs prayer to proclaim this mystery of Christ. And I'm no Paul, so I'm going to ask for prayer as well. Lord, we ask you to be with us today uh, to put your words into our mouths so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. We ask also that you be, that your spirit touch the hearts of those who could hear it so that they could understand it so that everything we do would glorify you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so in my Bible, this this passage is entitled Further Instructions, meaning Paul has given some instructions to the church at Colossae. And if you haven't read this book recently, I encourage you to do so, because it is, although one of the shortest uh, letters to the churches, it is packed with good stuff, very densely packed. So. Uh, it's going to take a long, it could take a long time to unpack all of, all of this, so that's why I chose to narrow down the focus on just a few, um, two, few verses. Um, in my Bible, uh, our, as I said, this is uh, further instructions, meaning Paul had already given a bunch of instructions to the church, and he wants the church to remember this. So if they forget everything else he's written, he wants them to remember what he put into, the, into these few passages. Um, we used to call this thing an elevator speech. It was something that if you had just a few seconds to get out, you would get this message across and, and people would remember it. Today, you might refer to this as the get off the stage or drop the mic statement from Paul. Um, we know that God has kept secrets from us since before time began. And in Deuteronomy 29:29, Moses wrote that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. What you might miss in that is that once God reveals something to us, we're responsible for acting on it and behaving that we understand it. And that will become important as we talk about uh, these verses in Colossians. Of course, in the Old Testament, uh, God revealed these things through his prophets, um, through uh, special uh, individuals like Abraham and Moses and Joshua. And of course, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he revealed much of the mystery from God. But in Colossians uh, 1.26, Paul writes that the mystery that has been kept hidden 
for ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people, or your Bible might say revealed to the saints, meaning that this is it. This, there is no more secrets to be, to be revealed by Christ or by God. Everything we need to know as Christians is in this mystery of Christ. Uh, we will certainly find out things when we get to heaven, but while we walk the earth, everything we need to know is contained in this mystery. And Paul's mission, as he says in Colossians 2, 2 through 3, is to make sure the Colossians and, and we uh, have a complete understanding in order that we would know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, there's nothing else beyond this. We, we need nothing else but Christ. Paul had learned that there were a few, uh, there were some heresies uh, being spread in Colossae, and that's why he wrote this letter. Of course, Colossae was a town in what's now Turkey. Uh, it was a melting pot of many cultures, religions, peoples, um, and there were many heresies that were being faced by the church. And Paul counters these heresies that come from three, uh, three sort of sources within, within Colossae. The first is a cultural feature. Again, I mentioned Colossae was uh, multicultural, but it had been ruled by the Greeks for about 300 years. So the people had been Hellenized, which, to mean, which means they were Greekized. They viewed the world like Greeks do, which is to say, you were either Greek, which is good and favorable, or you were a barbarian, which of course is bad. Uh, also in Colossae, there was a population of Jews who had been resettled there after the exile in Babylon. And of course, the Jews had, for their entire history, had had believed that they were God's they were God's chosen people, and they viewed the world in the same fashion. You were either an Israeli or a Jew, or you were a Gentile. So these people who had this worldview couldn't understand that Jesus had come to Earth as God and man, walked among us to to break down these divides between people, and that in Colossians three eleven he writes. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. With this, with the coming of Christ, we are now part of a new being, a, a, a body of Christ, where every one of us, regardless of our background, became part of that body. There was also some religious uh, uh, factors that played into the, the heresies that were uh, being faced by the Christians at Colossae. Of course, the Greeks had a lot of gods with a small g who all had temples in the various uh, cities. And if you were adherent to one of these gods, you would go to one of those temples and, and participate in whatever the, the, the typical uh, uh, worship service was for that particular deity. Um, and, but those, those gods had no personal relationship with the Greeks. The Jews, likewise, who had rejected Christ, still believed that God lived in the temple in Jerusalem in the Holy of Holies. They failed to recognize that he had rent that veil, and now he lived in us. He had crossed that gap between a holy God and a fallen man. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And he chooses that word temple very deliberately because he is countering this idea that the heretics have that God somehow was this distant being who lived in a temple far away and, and we couldn't approach him. With Christ as our intercessor we, intercessor, we can approach a holy God. The other uh, factor was a philosophical factor. Uh, uh, 
Greek philosophy ruled the day in this, in this area, again, because they'd been under Greek rule for 300 years. And at this point in history, uh, Greek philosophy was synonymous with Platonic philosophy from the, from the philosopher Plato. And he viewed the world in two spheres. You had a physical uh, uh, world where you could touch things and see things and interact with things, and then there was a non-physical world, like the intellect and the spiritual world. And he best portrays this in a short story called The Allegory of the Cave. Uh, and in this allegory, which I'll briefly explain because it's very important for the heresies faced back in this day and, and heresies we face today, there, uh, there are two actors talking about this hypothetical world. One of them is Socrates, Plato's former mentor, and he proposes this world in which a bunch of men have been enslaved for their entire life in a cave. And they're chained up so that all they can see is this wall in front of them. They can't turn their heads to the left or to the right. They can speak, they can interact, but they can't, their gaze is fixed on this wall. Behind them are actors carrying shapes on poles, uh, and a fire illuminates those shapes, casting shadows onto the wall. So these prisoners can only see these shadows, and for all they know, this is reality. This is life. This is, uh, this is the substance of what life is, because they can only see the shadows. One of the prisoners is freed from his chains and taken back and shown that these shadows are being cast by these shapes. And he understands that what he had previously known was no longer reality. And then Socrates says that he eventually was dragged physically and painfully up the slope out of the cave. And that up and out uh, metaphor is important uh, to the heresies that we're going to talk about here in a bit. And he's out in the light, and he sees that there really are real things. There really are animals and birds and what have you. And that even those shapes were just uh, a figment of his imagination. They really didn't exist. So uh, in this allegory, uh, Socrates proposes that there are many levels of this growth from, in, from the evil state in the shadows up to this uh, very enlightened state, and that a human, a man, should endeavor to climb up that slope to, to reach this goal of divine contemplation or a beatific vision that was provided by an author of all things beautiful and right, the parent of light and the lord of light. So you can see where anybody who was familiar with this allegory and those words could end up being confused about the mystery of Christ. And that day there were Gnostics, or what came to be known as Gnostics, who focused on this ability of man to pull himself up out of this evil state through knowledge and, and approach God through his own actions. Paul clearly rebukes this many times, but one of the best examples is in Colossians 2.8, where he says to the church, See it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There were also uh, ascetics and some Jewish sects who focused on avoidance of the evil state of man by avoiding contact with evil things. Uh, don't eat this, don't touch that, practice this. And these people were uh, subverting the, the mystery of Christ because Christ had come to the earth and established a new covenant. So many of the things that were being proposed or discussed as, as necessary were, had, been, had been destroyed by the new covenant in Christ. And Paul writes in Colossians 2, 22 through 23, that these 
rules, these legacy rules and regulations have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility and harsh treatment of the body. But most importantly, they're going to die with us and they don't work. So we have a new covenant in Christ that doesn't require these things. And finally, because of this philosophy, there were two uh, really important themes uh, that came out of it. One was that there was a rejection of Christ as both God over uh, the heavens and the earth. The people who subscribed to this uh, heresy couldn't understand how a God who was holy could also interact in, uh, with the, an evil and fallen world. So to account for that, they built into this a layer of, of, of demigods or, or uh, you know, angel worship to, to isolate this holy God from evil man but still provide some convoluted path by which we could approach God. They refused to understand that Christ had come to earth as God, lived as a man, lived a sinful life or sinless life, who died, was buried and resurrected to close that gap so that there was no need for any of this other stuff to, to, to explain how we could approach a holy God. And, and uh, Paul writes in Colossians 2, 9 through 10, that for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, so over heaven and earth. And Paul, of course, was not chosen by accident for this role. He was born in Tarsus, which is a Greek city-state. He was educated as a Pharisee, so he knew the Torah better than most Jews. And he skillfully uh, rebuked this, uh, this heresy many times. Uh, Colossians 2, 117 is one of my favorites, where he says that all of these things that the heretics are talking about are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And the words, the Greek words used by Paul in writing this are the exact same Greek words that Plato used in the allegory of the cave. The shadow and the reality or substance. Uh, and reality or substance, Paul uses the exact same words to, against the heretics. So later in this allegory, Socrates muses about what would happen if this uh, enlightened prisoner who had been freed were to take pity on the rest that were still down in the cave and go back and try to talk some sense into them and drag them up into the light. Well, because his eyes had been opened and he had been enlightened, he could no longer see the shadows. He could see reality. And the, the prisoners still enslaved in the shadows with their gaze focused on that wall ridiculed him. They thought him foolish. They, couldn't, they wouldn't believe him. In fact, they would kill him if he tried to unchain them and drag them up into the light. And like the prisoner in this allegory, Paul, of course, lived in the shadows. He persecuted Christ, and he refused to believe until he was dragged by Christ into the light. Then once he was there, he spent the rest of his life trying to drag others out of this cave, out of the shadows, and up into the light. And for it, three times Jews conspired to kill him. He was beaten, stoned, and left for dead, and eventually he was beheaded. Remember, when Paul wrote this letter, he was physically... uh, uh, literally in chains in Rome for the mystery of Christ. But he said to Timothy in a letter to him that though he was physically in chains, the, the mystery of Christ could not be changed, chained. His, his gaze was not on this wall, not on these shadows, but it was on the mystery of Christ. So it, today, I think it's important to remember that although we probably aren't faced with Gnostics, we probably don't even know one, uh, we're not 
that steeped in Greek philosophy, it does permeate uh, our worldview. And there's a chance, there's a potential that we are still enslaved in the shadows. So for us, we should ask ourselves, is that where we are or have we been dragged into the light so that we understand and our eyes are open to the mystery of Christ? Thank you, Brother Tom, for explaining the mystery of Christ. I appreciate your words and your, and your message there. <clears throat> so good morning. Uh, today we'll be looking at Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 9. And so as you turn to your Bibles there, whether it's analog or digital form, uh, I'd just like to take this opportunity to say a quick thank you uh, for allowing me the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Uh, our team, consisting of me, Steve Jones, uh, John Wood, with a sprinkling of, a sprinkling of Bill Root here and there, uh, have been poring over these passages for the last couple of months now. And through prayer and reflection and study, we feel that we're ready to bring you uh, God's message. So throughout our short time together, I want to give you three tools that will help, you, help enable you to have a balanced Christian walk. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and again, that was Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, whatever is lovely, excuse me, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, every time I hear verse 4, it takes you back to the song from a few years ago. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Okay, Pastor Joe is looking at Nick saying, get the hook, get out of here. So I, I promise, no more singing for me. My daughters are up here, they sing, and they get that gene from Miss Dawn, not me. Uh, but at the start of the chapter, we find Paul under house arrest, uh, as uh, Brother Tom had mentioned, in Rome, uh, again, writing to the church of Philippi. In the very beginning of each of these four chapters in Philippians, Paul addresses some reoccurring topics. Chapter 1, thanksgiving and prayer. Chapter 2, love and humility. Chapter 3, rejoice, and again in chapter 4, rejoice. Paul thought that it was important enough to mention rejoicing two times at the start of these two letters, so it must be important, right? It's like a therefore statement. What's it there for? Just before verse 4, Paul adds what seems to be a quick footnote uh, to address an issue between two ladies in the church. Now, although we don't know the exact uh, disagreement that was taking place between these, uh, these two ladies, uh, most theologians agree that whatever it was, uh, it was going to cause disunity and um, problems in the church. So here Paul's essentially telling them to put it behind them and agree in the Lord. Whatever their differences were, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't hear me the first time, I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's like talking to your children, right? How many times have I told you not to run in the house, right? Or whichever uh, thing's going on. In life, we are going to go through trials. It's a given. 
And I believe God uses these trials as uh, teaching moments in our lives and as an opportunity to grow in our faith. The good news is, through these trials, he has us in his hands, and he loves us. Something my grandmother used to say, the hotter the fire, the stronger the steel. Now, in metallurgy, if you know how it works, uh, the hotter the fire, the impurities are burned off. And there's some other little pieces in there with adding chemicals and all that. But just uh, for layman's terms, uh, the impurities are burned out as the hotter the fire is. These moments in life, I like to ref- uh, would like to think of as the refiner's fire. If God can literally be in the fire with Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego, he's in the fire with us, and he's there with us. Think about it. God loved the world, or loves us, excuse me. God loves us so much. He took six days to create the entire universe, but he takes nine months to knit us together in the womb. He loves us that much. We may go through hills and valleys and wonder why we're in a particular situation, but God has us and he is in control, amen? Okay, there's seven of us out there to agree. So, I'd like to tell you of an instance where I found myself in one particular valley. I am the quintessential pack rat. I excel at it. I also excel at keeping something for years and years and only to throw it away, and then what happens inevitably? Two days later, I need it. Exactly right. And uh, so, I was uh, in my, I was young in my career at the time, about six years in, young sergeant. And I had been accepted to an officer session program. So we were getting ready, my wife and I were getting ready to leave California to go to Newport, Rhode Island to attend a one-year prep school and then on to the University of Idaho to get my bachelor's. In my time, uh, in the beginning of the Corps, I was in the infantry. And one of the great things about the military is they will come in, they'll hire a company, and they'll actually come in and they'll pack up your stuff. And the great team comes in and they take all your things so nicely and perfectly and they wrap it in paper and they put it in boxes so it won't break. And you get to the other final destination and you have all of your own stuff, all the same things you left wherever with back to this new place. Nothing's broken, nothing's ruined. You don't have any other person's stuff. I hear the smirks and giggling and laughing out there, right? For those who are military or who have been in the military, you know that is not how it happens. They will pack everything, yes, They will pack your dirty dishes. They will pack your dirty laundry, wet laundry, no kidding, out of the washing machine. They will pack your garbage. They will pack your cat. True, true story. And we've even heard one story that they had packed a baby once. Go figure, right? But with this, uh, with TMO, that's a group that, that comes out, traffic management office, they won't pack things that are flammable. And MREs. Being in the infantry for so long, I had had about 12 cases of MREs. And uh, MRE, meal ready to eat. If there's ever an oxymoron, it is right there. <laughs> Just ask Dawn and her appendicitis that happened <laughs> right after eating an MRE. She says it connected, but anyway. So MREs have matches in them. TMO's not going to move them. I have 12 cases. I don't have room in the car, so I put an ad in the paper for sale. 12 cases of MREs, some of them unopened. A few days go by, and I get a phone call. We set up a time to meet and everything else. The gentleman shows up with his partner, and he writes out a check. We agree on a price. He writes a check, and he hands it to me, and I put it in my pocket, and he helped him load these MREs in the back of his truck. And he's like, hey, can I see that check real quick? I just want to write my phone number on it. All right. I hand it to him, and he takes it, puts it in his pocket, and pulls out his badge. My name is Inspector Kaiser. You're under arrest for the suspicion of selling stolen government property. <sighs> right. <sighs> and I'm thinking, 
oh my goodness, I, just something did not feel right about this situation. I, I do go like this, and he's like, no, I'm not going to handcuff you. We're just going to take you in and do some and uh, perform some questioning. So they take me in, and they ask, so do you have any other military gear at your house? <laughs> right? Those who know and who've moved it all across the country 16 times. I'm like, sure, absolutely. I had nothing to hide. I hadn't done anything wrong. And so they said, do you mind if we come into your house and take a look? Come on in. Yeah, uh, they confiscated every piece of military gear that I had in my house to the tune of about $10,000. Yeah, no, so don't get stuck on that number because we know what the government pays for a hammer or a toilet seat, right? So there's that little bit of a factor going in there too, plus the cost of all of my MREs. But it was this way it happened. You find a canteen in the field in the infantry, right? And you're like, hey, who lost their canteen? I did, Sergeant. Don't lose your gear again, knucklehead, right? It's just all one rolling stock. And if they don't admit it in the field, you fix it when you get back to the rear. We didn't have eBay and everything else like that, so it was, uh, there was nothing nefarious about it. Obviously, in the end, all of the charges are dropped, or else I wouldn't be standing before you right now. Today, we'd be in Leavenworth still probably serving out my time. So the good news is all the supply companies in the area had record, uh, great record accountability of their MREs. The government, though, um, we were able to execute orders and move to California, and they kept all of my stuff. But I didn't care. California's in the rear mirror, rear view mirror, excuse me, and here we go. But in that circumstance, I'm thinking my career is over. I just got started. Are you kidding me? I was going to be an officer, and now I'm just going to jail, potentially. And I'm thinking, why, God? Why is this happening? I think that everyone in this room, either listening uh, online, can relate to these feelings of despair, fear, uncertainty, and perhaps even regret. So to combat these feelings, Paul gives us our first tool um, from which, from verse 4, which will help us to enable to have that balanced Christian walk. Rejoice. However, in keeping with the good Baptist practice of using alliteration for your, your notes and your uh, sermon points, I modified revoice just a little bit uh, to praise. So how do we be a people of praise? Let's go back to the text. Verse 6, Paul states, don't worry. Okay, that was easy. Uh, the band would like to come up. We can pray. Uh, Lord, just as you be with us. No, right? It's not that easy, right? Let's dig a little bit deeper into this. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But God, I am stuck in this valley. What am I going to do about this? Am I the only one that feels that way? We sometimes forget, and we believe our fears are bigger than our faith. And the peace of God will guard your hearts. We've seen a direct uh, example of this in the Bible. Peter, while walking on the water, while his eyes and uh, gaze was focused on Jesus, everything was fine wasn't until he noticed the wind and the waves that he began to sink, letting the worries of this world drown him, right? How did Peter get out of that situation, though? He called out to, God, to Christ. Verse 6 again. In everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Which brings us to my second tool, or Paul's second tool that he gives us, Pray. God is bigger than any of our problems. And the Bible tells us that there's a peace that goes beyond all understanding. 
And God provi has provided a great tool in the form of, a of the Bible to have that conversation with us, right? B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before living, leaving earth. Other examples that are uh, good conversations from the Bible. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. Another great verse. So trust in the Lord always. Uh, excuse me. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. And another one that I love. For we know that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But we're fixers, right? Especially men. We we like to just fix things. Just ask my wife, right? She will testify that she's told me a number of times, Sean, I didn't need a solution. I just wanted you to listen, right? I'm, I don't think I'm the only man that's, uh, that feels that way. So pray and don't let the things of this world get a hold of your thoughts. In the Wearsby Commentary Bible, Warren Wearsby wrote, Worry is the greatest thief of joy. The antidote to worry is a secure mind. And if you or I are to conquer worry and experience that secure mind, we must meet the conditions that God has laid out for us. Right praying, right thinking, and right living. And that brings us to our third tool, perspective. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the, peace, and the God of peace will be with you. Two of my children, Paige and Michael, have both started working, paying jobs at the same establishment. Isn't it great when your kids start to work and they, they actually start earning real money, right? The birthday presents get better and the Christmas presents get better instead of the, Dad, I got you a rock, right? Oh, thank you. I'm going to put it up here with the little stick and the leaf that you got me last year. It's so precious. No, I'm just kidding. They are all treasures. Uh, otherwise, why would I still have the leaf and the rock that are from previous years, right? I'm a pack rat. So anyway, Paige and Michael uh, are both been accused by one of their co-workers of being Jesus freaks. Right? Uh, I have no greater joy than to know your children are walking in truth. So as Paige was telling us a story, excuse me, as Paige was telling us a story, I'm thinking, great news, they're, they're on fire for God, it's, it's showing. But as she continued with the account, I realized that this employee was actually complaining about it. And I thought to myself, well, how is being on fire a bad thing, right? Who would you rather have working for you? Someone who's going to skim off the top or bring conflict into the workplace if they even show up at all? Or would you rather have someone who has high moral standards, ethics, and will do what they're told and when they're told and all of the, all of the right good things. The good news is, though, from that conversation with her coworker, Paige was able to share her testimony and uh, share the gospel with her. Paige could have had that perspective of frustration and disappointment, but she used that opportunity to, ju to do, just as Paul has told us in verse 8, to dwell on these things, things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, moral excellence. So ask yourselves, what do we find ourselves filling our minds with? Things of this world or things of God? 
If we can maintain a biblical, biblical perspective, it will help us to remember to praise God and to pray to God. So what perspective should we dwell on? Whatever is true, so honesty, truth, true speech, not slander, no lies. Whatever is lovely, beyond human beauty. I believe here Paul is referring to the lovely things of this world and his, in his creation, a flower, a, a baby lamb without any blemish, sunsets, and so much more that we get to enjoy in his creation. Perspectives we should dwell on also, whatever's commendable. What are the things that should be commended? Truth, courage, faith, love, commitment. These are just a few of those. Anything excellent or praiseworthy? Praise. Is that something we'd give just to special people? Are we sometimes stingy with our praise, only giving it at certain times? Or should we be open and free with it as we see people using the gifts that, they have, they, that God has given them and their talents for furthering the kingdom? I think that Paul probably could have coined the phrase, you are what you think about. Definitely it is important to keep your thoughts captive. In fact, there are nine verses throughout the Bible that talk on that very subject, but that's for another sermon series next semester. Paul closes this particular section of Philippians by telling the church, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So whatever God has placed before you in your hills or your valleys, Paul has given us these three tools to embark upon with our, our, excuse me, our balanced walk with Christ. In all things, praise, even in the valleys. Pray. Give your concerns to God and his spirit will guide you. And perspective. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Thank you. Morning, church. I tell you, before I get started, we, as Brother Tom said, we had our full dress rehearsal at nine o'clock this morning. We, the three of us, have been working on this for, gosh, probably three months now, and we had it all just nailed down, and we were ready. And so, this morning, as I'm walking up at nine o'clock, I just saw my life flash before my eyes. All my thoughts escaped out the back of my mind, and I stood in front of everyone and smiled and said, "Hi, I'm the guy holding the microphone." That was the only words I could get uttered out of my mouth. So uh, uh, praise the Lord for his grace and mercy, though, right? It's renewed on us daily and all those things that we struggle with and have failures in. Praise the Lord. He is there and makes us complete. Amen. So we've talked a little bit about the mystery of Christ with Brother Tom, and we've talked about our walk with Christ with uh, Brother Sean. And I just want to take a moment here before we dive into uh, Christ and his church to just say thank you to Pastor Tim and all the brothers of our Pipeline uh, Bible class uh, for pouring and mentoring into me and for allowing us the opportunity to come up here and share God's word with you. And on a side note, I, I want to thank Brother Sean for uh, his testimony regarding NCIS. As a retired uh, military man myself, I promise you I will be going home today and emptying my house of all the old military stuff that I had. I don't need to knock on my door from NCIS. I've got it figured out that if I just go around to all my neighbors and use their trash cans, I can cover my tracks pretty well getting rid of everything. Amen? All right. 
let's get down to business. So we're going to be covering here 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So you're welcome to turn in your Bible uh, with me, or you can follow up on the screen. Just to set the scene for us, uh, we know that Paul is our writer, and he is responding to the news that this new church in Thessalonica is booming. Now, under normal circumstances, that would be par for, par for the course. I mean, we are talking about the Apostle Paul who penned 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. It would seem normal that a church would be booming under his leadership. But what's different with the church of Thessalonians than every, any of the rest of the churches is that Paul was only there for three weeks. If you read in Acts 17, you can see the account of how Paul was chased out of Thessalonica by some angry and jealous Jews. And Paul was obviously concerned about this. He didn't really have what he thought was enough time to build this church up and establish them and to set them loose. So he sends young Timothy back and to, uh, to check on them. And what young Timothy reports back, like I said a moment ago, is that this church is absolutely booming. So let's dive right into our word here, starting with uh, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. So that's a lot of scripture there to unpack and, and to take in. It's, a, it's an entire chapter. However, I think if we hone in on verse 3, we can really see what uh, Paul is trying to convey to this young church. He essentially narrows down these three points that summarize their actions or three points that characterize what it means to be a follower of Christ. And another translation spells it out, what you see on the screen before you, that says, For we remember before our God and Father how you put your faith into practice, how your love made you work so hard, and how your hope is in our, excuse me, how your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ is firm. And so those are going to be our three points today. So let's go ahead, hop into our first point here, and that is putting faith into practice. Paul is commending these young Thessalonians on their faithful service or their works. Remember what I just said a moment ago. 
that he was only there for three weeks, yet they were faithfully fulfilling their God-ordained purpose in Macedonia and Achaia. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Fellow Christians, we are called unto a purpose, a life of servitude and a life of works. Christ did not create us in his image and then uh, save us from our sins and failures just to say, go on, you're absolved of your sins, continue on in your old self. No, no, we are called to live a holy life, a life that is worthy of God's sacrifice and a life that is worthy of God's calling. We're not only to be hearers of God's word, but we are called to be stewards and doers of his word. Simply put, we are called to put our faith into practice because that's what our God expects of us. Amen. So how do we live out this life of servitude? Well, I think Paul tells us here in verse 3 that we're to do it through hard work and love. And that brings us into our second point here, that love, uh, love makes us work hard. In verse 6, we see that the Thessalonians immediately became examples and imitators of Paul and of Christ. There was no hesitation. Even though the gospel was brought to them in much affliction, they still gave up their old ways and became followers of Christ. And if you look at the next part in the ESV, it states that they were indwelled with the Holy Spirit and they were filled with joy. You see, Paul knew firsthand what it meant to suffer in the name of Christ, to receive affliction, or to have struggles and trials, which both Brother Tom and Brother Sean just uh, hammered out for you a few moments ago. Paul had been shipwrecked, he had been jailed, he had been beaten, and he even had his apostolic authority questioned within the church, something that many of us in the military would call friendly fire or something that essentially hurts the most because you don't expect it to come from within. But Paul still continues on because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit gave him joy. In, in Romans 8.18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. Paul understood a very key aspect of our life, that we are only here for a short while. I don't care today if you're 8 or if you're 18 or if you're 40 or you're 128. The fact of the matter is that our life here on earth is only but a blip on the radar when we look at it in terms of eternity. This place essentially is not our home. Our home is in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So stand firm in your faith. And that brings us to exactly our third point. Our hope is in, or excuse me, our hope in Christ is firm. You see, brothers and sisters, there was a Roman, a Greek, an Egyptian, and even a Jewish influence in the metropolis of Macedonia. Essentially, like 
Brother Tom pointed out about Colossae, it was a melting pot. And everyone was seeking to find that acceptance, that meaning, that purpose in their life through false gods and, and fairy tales, essentially. But these Thessalonians, they received the gospel and they turned away from false gods and from fairy tales. These Thessalonians received the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not just words that were brought to them. It was power in those words. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so these Thessalonians were given hope through the Holy Spirit. These Thessalonians were essentially steadfast in their faith. And that word steadfast means to be resolute or dutifully firm and unwavering. Or for my military brothers and sisters, it means to maintain a course without redirection or retreat. And as Paul closes this chapter in verse 10, he reminds the Thessalonians and us as well that a day of judgment is coming. But through faith in Christ, we are saved. Therefore, we have no reason to be fearful, for we are children of God. And we can find comfort in knowing that we are covered by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. And so, as I attempt to land the plane here, uh, which is kind of interesting, I know Pastor Tim has a sense of humor because Brother Tom was a pilot in the military, and I was not, but somehow he'd given me the task of landing the plane, so amen. But I want to share a quote with you uh, from a Dutch watchmaker and Christian writer who was known for harboring Jews in the Netherlands in World War II as the Nazis were invading and were rounding up the Jews to, as you know, as history has shown, to take them to concentration camps. And her name is Corey Tenboom, and she says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll find rest. Brothers and sisters, this statement is as applicable today as it was 80 years ago in World War II for Miss Corey Tinboom. Just read the headlines or look at what our society faces. Just look what went on last week in Texas or up in New York or just all over the world. Brothers and sisters, it's no secret this world is hurting and in desperate need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in desperate need of a Savior. Amen. This world needs Jesus in all of its mystery. This world needs the peace that goes beyond all understanding, and it needs model churches with faithful Christians who are willing to stand up and to share their testimony and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, I can tell you that from my own testimony that it took faithful brothers in Christ to break through my own hard heart. You see, I didn't come to uh, the knowledge of Christ or accepting Christ as a young man or as a young child it took me into my adult years and uh, it took those brothers living out their faith in front of me not only sharing the gospel but bearing witness to the gospel letting me see the transformation in their life letting me see behind the curtain if you will their their failures and their frailty and the things that that God had helped them with and that is what delivered me to Christ so church I just encourage you to, to be bold with your, your testimony, to be bold with the gospel and not be ashamed of it and share it with the world. And as I close here, 
Let me leave you with this on this Memorial Day weekend. If you're still wrestling with your faith, then don't leave today. I can tell you I understand what it means to wrestle with your faith, but I can also tell you how God can take a wretch and give him a second chance in this life. Amen. And so I plead with you again, don't leave today if you are not a born-again believer. Come find Pastor Joe or come find myself or Brother Sean or Brother Tom or, or any other brother in the church. Or if you're a woman, find a sister here today. Don't leave because we know that we're not promised tomorrow and our eternity is on the line. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and to just be your ecclesia, your called out people. Father, we thank you individually for our testimony of Christ in our life. And Father, we thank you that you came to us at just the right time and you rescued us from our sins, Father. And we just, Father, we're just so grateful for for what you've done in our lives and what you're still doing, Father. And we thank you for your grace and mercy that's renewed upon us daily. And Father, again, I just I just thank you for the opportunity to, to be here today and to, to share what the Holy Spirit has put for me in my heart to put out uh, to all that are here today. And Father, again, I just thank you for all that you do for me. And I just praise all this in Jesus' name. Amen.